0: You've probably heard the old cliche, truth is stranger than fiction. Perhaps this is one reason why we're so prone to accept some popular ideas as science fact, when in reality, they are science fiction. Stay tuned.
1: A dog's mouth is every bit as dirty as a human's from a biological point of view.
0: This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. As children, we may have believed that the moon was made out of cheese, or that the Easter bunny really did lay chocolate eggs. But even as adults, we're sometimes fooled into believing a popular idea that's not scientifically true, because we're told over and over that it is. So what are some of these common misconceptions that we mistakenly believe? Listen in for the next 15 minutes as we discuss popular science misconceptions and uncover the truth about these beliefs. Biologically speaking, there are several common science misconceptions. One myth that even some school teachers still pass on to their students today is that our blood is actually blue inside our bodies, but turns red once it comes to the surface and is exposed. What does ICR molecular biologist Dan Criswell think about this idea?
1: It's false. Nobody has blue blood anywhere in their bodies. Our blood is bright red in the arteries, It's bright red because it has uh, what's called hemoglobin in it, and hemoglobin has iron, which combines with oxygen, and that really is rust, and that's what makes the blood bright red. Many people think that in your veins blood is blue, and I think that fallacy comes from seeing pictures in biology textbooks or human anatomy textbooks that illustrate the veins as being blue.
0: So if our blood is red, then why do our veins look blue?
1: People look at their veins in their arms, for example, and they appear to be blue or even greenish blue. And so the assumption is made that just like the illustrations in the textbook, the blood in my veins is blue. And actually that's not the case. There is a way to make blue coloration. And so what's actually happening is as a person looks at the veins in their arms, and they appear blue, it's a result of light being bent as it passes through the tissues of the arms, and that's what causes that blue coloration.
0: Another biological issue that people wonder about is whether or not men have fewer ribs than women. People came up with this assumption because the Bible tells us that God used one of Adam's ribs to make Eve. We read of this account in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. But does this biblical fact support the idea that men have only 23 ribs, while women have a full set of 24? Dr. Criswell says that men have the same amount of ribs that women have and points out that you cannot genetically pass on purely physical changes, such as a missing rib, to your children.
1: Even if Adam did miss a rib, that wouldn't be something that he could genetically pass down to his descendants. It's the same principle as if a person were to go into a weightlifting room and lift weights and make themselves real muscular. Well, that's not something that would change their genetic information that they would pass on to their offspring. And so you can't do things to your anatomy. For example, if a person were an amputee and and lost an arm, for example, their children wouldn't be missing an arm just because they had one amputated. So it's that same principle. Even if God took a rib from Adam and Adam had one less rib, he can't pass that damage on to his offspring.
0: The most unpleasant biological science misconception we'll talk about today concerns man's best friend. How many of us at one time or another have fallen for the mistaken belief that dogs' mouths are cleaner than humans' mouths? Dr. Criswell says the mouths of both dogs and humans are filled with bacteria.
1: A dog's mouth is every bit as dirty as a human's from a biological point of view. In fact, you have to remember, we don't think of it this way, but the mouth is really an external environment when we talk about the human body. It's on the outside of our bodies, just like our skin, and it requires quite a bit of protection from our immune system to keep all that bacteria at bay and to keep it from infecting us. So humans and dogs have very dirty mouths when it comes to uh, a biological perspective. A dog bite or a human bite can actually introduce pathogens into a person's body.
0: But what about the belief that a canine saliva has medicinal benefits? Therefore, letting a dog lick a wound will help it to heal.
1: If we were to get a cut or a scrape, we would take some water and probably clean the wound. Well, a dog doesn't have that option, so the only way to clean a cut or scrape is to lick it. But while they're cleaning it, they're probably also doing themselves a disservice by the possibility of introducing bacteria. The possible benefit there is that because it's the dog's own saliva, the dog has probably got an immunity towards many of the bacteria that are in the saliva, so it probably doesn't hurt the dog to lick its own wounds. But if a dog is to lick a person, a human, that's not the case the bacteria that's found in a dog's mouth and the bacteria that's found in a human's mouth are not real similar. And so a dog is carrying possible pathogens, organisms that cause disease and uh, bacteria in general that a human may not have been exposed to before. And so allowing a dog to lick your hands and your face can actually introduce disease-causing organisms that a particular individual might not be resistant to. Dogs have actually been, in scientific studies, implicated in introducing disease by licking people. So this idea that their mouth is clean and that they have enzymes or antibodies that kill human germs is a fallacy.
0: We've looked at some down-to-earth biological science misconceptions. Now, let's head for space. Dr. Donald DeYoung is professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He tells us of an astronomical object that, because of its common name, has a mistaken identity.
2: From the astronomy world, consider what we call shooting stars. Many of us have watched these streams of light that flash across our night sky. But what really is a shooting star? It can't be an actual star, since stars are much too far away to rapidly move across the sky. Such motion would greatly exceed the speed of light, and that's not possible. What, then, are shooting stars? Actually, they are some of the nearest and smallest objects we can see. They're about 50 miles or 80 kilometers above the ground, and this is many trillions of times closer than the distant stars. The shooting stars are bits of rock or metal that are swept up from nearby space by the Earth's gravity. They fall through the Earth's atmosphere at high speed, leaving a trail of light as they vaporize into dust and gas. The correct name for a shooting star is a meteor.
0: But if the meteor or shooting star lands on Earth, it's given yet another name.
2: Now, rarely, these space pebbles or rocks are large enough to survive their plunge to Earth. Then they can be found on the ground as meteorites. Some of these look like chunks of metal. Others resemble everyday stones. Shooting stars are a brilliant example of the second law of thermodynamics. That is, they display the gradual wearing down of the solar system as space debris is burned up and diminished.
0: There are many examples of science misconceptions, but creation scientists would agree that the biggest and most deceptive science misconception is that of evolution. ICR geophysicist Dr. John Baumgartner says, the evolutionary theory of chance processes influencing the complex genome system to produce all the different forms of life that
3: exist in the world today is just impossible. The idea that mutation, for example, of the genetic instructions can produce new proteins, biologically functional proteins, it's well known that these proteins are extremely specialized. And if you look at the odds of being able to find one of these, identify one of these, just out of all the possibilities that exist, it's utter foolishness to argue that you could, by a random process, simply changing some of the letters in the genetic alphabet, generate a specialized new biological molecule. That's simply scientific foolishness. If a scientist was really being honest, he would have to admit that simply cannot happen, simply does not happen. So then why do so many people, including secular scientists, believe in evolution? People have been misled to think it's relatively trivial for mutation to occur and then selection to act on these mistakes and produce something radically new, radically improved. So that is a major misconception that people have been led to believe. And even scientists have been duped into thinking that it's a possibility. They have never been challenged to think it through carefully like they would normally deal with a scientific question. And part of the deception of evolution involves the age of the Earth. Another major misconception that many people have is that the Earth is old that the earth is uncountably millions of years old. And yet the Bible indicates that the earth is young, just thousands of years old, that there have been only a few hundred generations of human beings since the earth itself was created. And that is, for most people, very difficult to believe, given how many times they've been told that the earth is ancient that the earth is billions of years old. So uh, I would say that is certainly a major misconception that most people who live today have bought into. So
0: because secular scientists and school teachers are pushing the science misconception that evolution is true, Dr. Baumgartner says it's important that Christians protect themselves
3: from being deceived by this lie. I believe, first of all, that we do have the Bible. That is the truth. The Lord Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word, Father, is truth. Your word is truth. And that, I believe, if we are immersing ourselves in Scripture, in God's word, if we allow it to speak for itself and not impose some system upon it, some artificial framework, but let the word of God speak for itself, and that any question that we have, we bring it before the entire council of God. Let the whole Bible speak to that question. That's one important check. Another, I believe, is compare our conclusions with other Christians through the centuries who are generally acknowledged to be men of God, that God clearly used in a significant way in the history of the church.
0: As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org.